0: Welcome to a special Fireside Chat. Uh, I'm your host, Thomas Watson, Enterprise Trucking Carrier here at Freight Waves, and super, super excited today. uh, We've got uh, Mr. Jim Ward, TCA's incoming president. He's coming here to speak to us a little bit about some regulatory questions, as well as some important things he's seeing in the industry. Jim, super excited to have you on. Welcome.
1: Hey, Thomas. Thank you very much. Uh, It's a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, it's kind of a unique time. You're catching me right in transition. I'm transitioning out of being the president of DM Bowman Incorporated for the last 22 years, uh, 29 years in service with them in total, and uh, getting ready. That'll be this Friday's my retirement. And on Monday, I'll be starting as the TCA president in uh, Old Town, Virginia.
0: And talk about hitting the ground running. You, you're talking about, as soon as you're taking this thing, the Biden administration recently released some proposals on EPA legislation, uh, the potential to cut nitrogen oxide emissions from heavy-duty trucks by roughly ninety percent below current standards, as soon as twenty twenty seven, um, you know what? Is, what's it like coming in there? What are what are your thoughts, and especially TCA's thoughts about this new legislation?
1: Well, if I may, I'd like to give credit to uh, Dave Heller, our, our Truckload Carriers Association Safety and Vice President of Government Affairs. We recently re- uh, sent out a statement regarding this issue, and if I may read it to you, we basically said that TCA is committed to working with the Biden administration. Uh, in exploring the possibilities of utilizing proven emission reduction technologies to efficiently and effectively and safely um, supply our nation with the goods it uses daily.
0: I think that's a great point because we're starting to see, especially states such as uh, Oregon, California, Washington, other parts in the Northeast, uh, New Jersey, New York, and Massachusetts, there's also a focus on this advanced clean trucking, uh, zero emissions, cutting emissions, Um, and, you know, for coming from trucking yourself, it, are there are a lot of risks, uh, you know, especially with when you're crafting this stuff. What What's the potential downside here if it's not handled right?
1: Well, a couple of things that you just mentioned, and I think it's important to, that the industry continues to get credit for what we've done, the engine manufacturers and the trucking industry. You know, since the 2010 emission standards, I mean, NOx has been cut by approximately 30%, which I, th- I think we may de- make, need to make absolutely sure that, uh, you know, we get the credit for that. And, and secondly... You know, as an industry, we certainly support a a nationally recognized NOx standard, not a state by state standard. That is so difficult for us to be able to deal with, and we have to deal with you know state regulations that vary from state to state. It, we would much rather see a, a national NOx emission standard than a state.
0: And I've seen it firsthand. Like even states setting their own fuel tax. You have the KYU permits in Kentucky. You have Oregon taxes as well. You have to deal with. You know, is there a very real risk that while it may be good intention, it can cause uh, undue burden on some of these smaller carriers who may not even have the resources to, you know, get a hold of some of this equipment for a while.
1: Well, absolutely. You know, 90, 97% of the industry is, is made up of uh, fleets of 20 trucks or less. And so they certainly bear a, a, a much more significant burden most of the time than, than us larger carriers, you know, from, from the ability to be able to negotiate. Fuel surcharge is a great example, you know, really concerned about the carriers right now with the fuel environment that we see ourselves in. I mean, they they don't have the negotiating power with some of the shippers as, as we as larger carriers do. Plus, you know, cash flow is a real challenge for them. And so they're paying for that fuel when they buy it at the pump. However, they're not going to get a return until several days, you know, 60 days later, possibly. And so it's a, it's, it's a real challenge for them. And, and you know, we, we need to make sure we look out for these smaller carriers.
0: I think that's something a lot of people don't understand is how larger ones can profit off of these surcharges. You can kind of weather the storm a little bit, but these smaller carriers who are already buying more expensive trucks as well. You know, there's a huge risk to their margin. Is there a potential, especially with these incentives? We're talking about electric trucks. Is there a serious potential or conversations uh, that, you know, these guys are going to miss out on the boat? Because who can afford a brand new electric class eight when you can hardly afford a used combustion engine class eight
1: well let me let me just make one correction if i may on your comment previously yeah. this large carriers we don't profit off the fuel surcharge we just try to make ourselves whole and uh, so that <laughs> that's why we negotiate with their shippers on on the various fuel surcharges and uh, but you're, you're absolutely right in the point that you make i mean you know if you are a little smaller carrier and you you don't have nearly leverage or the cooperative buying opportunity that, that some of the larger carriers have it is a real challenge for you and uh you know, and they're the bread and butter of, of the supply chain right now of, of what we do and moving our goods. And and um, so we just we hate to see them, you know, get themselves in, in, a, in a really overdue
0: burden type position. Because there, there could be a very real risk that if, you know, not only this legislation goes into effect, but, uh, you know, we may not be able to handle any other surges as quickly as possible if the business cycle hastily changes. You know, uh, given COVID and stuff, there's a real risk, correct?
1: Well, we've just come out of a a very challenging period. And and again, my hat's off to to all of our members and and all those that are out there in the the industry. I mean, the things that we were able to do to be able to keep goods moving through the challenge through COVID, I mean, was, was really incredible. And it was great that the industry finally recognized us as being essential. We've all known we were essential for many years. However, it was finally nice to be recognized by the federal government and the general public. And I don't think our image has ever been any better than it is today. And uh, we want to continue to manage and uphold that. Uh, but but in doing so, you know, we're coming out of a time where there is still a real labor challenge in the industry. And as you know, there's still real issues in the supply chain. And one of the issues in the supply chain are, are parts and components for equipment. And so, you know, many of us that's, that's placed orders with our, our truck manufacturers have had uh, some issues in getting the equipment that we've had on order, not only last year, but still going to experience some of the same challenges again this year. When we look at these emission standards, uh, you know, normally there's a pre-buy whenever something like this goes into into effect. And uh, so, which again puts really uh, large uh, constraints on the manufacturers when there's a high demand for the equipment. But the other thing is, is that we have to continue to encourage the Biden administration as to, whether it's it's EPA or CARBs, that they work with the trucking industry and they work with the engine manufacturing. I mean, our industry is all about uptime and reliability and we've been through some really painful challenges as a result of not having time to really truly test the technology and make absolutely sure that we're going to get that reliability out of it whenever it goes into place
0: i think you bring up a great point especially testing the technology and actually having it on the road i remember so many times even with newer 2022 cascadias Freightliners, whatever make and model uh, uh internationals and whatnot the particulate filters Uh, as well as the technologies that influence these emission standards, you know, it it can have a lot of impact. And so, like you said, if the if the parts aren't there, if you're changing to technology, then there could be a potential that your trucks are out of action uh, due to some of these extra burdens being put on, uh, you know, the, the equipment. Right.
1: Which is going to just create more challenges in the supply chain and create frustration amongst our commercial truck drivers. So that's not what we want to see as an industry.
0: What would you kind of like to see if there was the opportunity, um, you know, trying to get you all involved as well as the stakeholders from the Biden administration? Are there any things on like a wish list, so to speak, that you would you potentially like to get uh, get out? Well, again,
1: there? I think it starts with the, uh, the engine manufacturers to make sure that the administration is working real close with them. And then once the technology is, is, is decided upon, that we have an opportunity to be able to test the, the technology, get it out in a real world environment and see exactly what some of the challenges are going to be with it. You know, we're, we're, we're all for clean air. We're all for being a good nation on our nation's highways with the general public. But to, And so we acquire a lot of safety technology on our equipment nowadays, as you very well know. But but in doing so, sometimes there's some challenges with it. And and so we'd like to be able to work those bugs out on the front end before we get somewhere down the road with a piece of equipment that we find out has huge issues. And then you, you have to get the equipment back in, possibly under warranty, get it repaired. you And you experience all that downtime and inefficiency. And to be quite honest with you, the impact on the supply chain is, is pretty significant.
0: Completely agree, especially recent uh, articles talking about recalls from Navisphere due to some emissions-related control technology. Um, there's a big risk. And I think, like you said, a lot of people are, they understand that you guys are all on the same team. We want to have better, cleaner air. We want to have better roads. We want to have better things. But the biggest thing that you all are bringing up is how fast, who do we involve, and how much are we able to at least talk about it before we do something drastic that may hurt down the road?
1: Yeah, you're you're exactly right, Thomas. And uh, so I would just hope that that they would listen to our plea and involve us, and uh, you know that we would be able to to work our th- work ourselves through this process uh, that we have a reasonable outcome.
0: And I'm thinking, like, shifting gears a little bit. We're talking looking at climate related financial disclosures. So you know, there's big pressure right now on trucking companies in terms of emissions. But recently, it also appears that there's huge pressure on investors and companies to disclose uh, their, uh, you know, strategic outline on environmental, you know, how will you be impacted by climate change? Is that something that could be really rough for a trucking carrier if you have to put on your thing saying, hey, if something disappears, you know, there may be problems or, you know.
1: Yeah, that certainly could create a challenge for us. And, you know, and talking with the shipping community, There are are other ways to be able to address some of these things. And and I'm not saying technology is not going to change, because I think we live in a world today where we all know it's going to continue to evolve and continuously improve, hopefully for the best. But, you know, just a reduction in deadhead miles can certainly have an impact on a shipper's carbon footprint. And so so there's things that we can do in our freight networks and working with the shipping community as well to try to help some of these challenges that uh, we're talking about here today.
0: I think uh, I think you have a great point. We see a lot of technology and stuff talking about trying to connect loads with one system, but it's just as important for carriers, coming from your background, that you all don't want to drive empty as much as possible because not only are you burning more things, you're costing yourself more money.
1: Absolutely. So, you know, I, I think looking at some of those operational, what I'm going to call efficiencies, that we might be able to continue to work together on should, could certainly create a great balance for us or some improvement for us as well.
0: Do you think uh, especially... Pricing strategies, if you're a large carrier thinking, of making huge orders, um, you know, is, is there any potential changes to uh, your buying strategy if these trucks that are internal combustion, they're going to start having increasing regulations on emissions or maybe replaced by, you know, electric vehicles? Is that something you guys are worried about coming up on the horizon?
1: Well, again, as I said a few minutes ago, we certainly know that, that um, you know, different types of, of um Alternative fuels, electric, et cetera. They're coming in the future. How soon in the future, as I said here today, speaking with you, I can't begin to tell you. Probably depends on who you ask. We'll give you one timeline and somebody else will give you another. I know right now they're really hard to come by. If you even, if I wanted one, I'm not just sure I could get one. And if I, if I wanted one and could get one, I'm not just sure I could get the power to charge it to keep it moving today, to be quite frank with
0: you. But but having oh yeah exactly it's it's like I can't even find the internal combustion engine to begin with, never mind trying to get an electric
1: one. And you Um, you, you think about an industry of ours where where you know we use forty six billion around forty five to forty around forty five to fifty billion gallons of fuel a year uh that's pretty significant to think that we're going to be replacing that anytime soon however i think we all know it, it it's coming it's coming somewhere down the road and 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 we're going to we'll transition to it because there's going to be applications for it that's going to make sense and it'll probably it'll probably move into those applications sooner rather than later but but as it does i still truly believe that the diesel combustion engine is going to be around with us for quite some time now i've been wrong many times before but uh but 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 there's so so knowing that you know, I go back to working with the Biden administration. We're certainly encouraging them right now to, you know, our, our our motto is drill, baby, drill. We'd like to drill here domestically to provide ourselves some relief. I mentioned to you in 2019, we used 45 to 50 billion gallons of diesel fuel at uh, $3 a gallon. So pretty significant today as of what, mid, mid-March, uh, we were at $5 a gallon. So you start doing the math on 45 to 50 billion gallons, it's it's pretty significant in the in the impact that that we're seeing on uh, on our cost of fuel, which is our second largest line item on our income statements. So you know it's we've got challenges today that we're confronted with, let alone looking looking towards the future.
0: You got a great, great point talking about drilling, and you know it's almost a situation where you want to do these green initiatives but if you don't secure your domestic energy supply and you make the prices go too much for your people and your carriers uh, there's a really real risk of uh, overshooting and potentially causing more harm than simply like trying to get more fuel through other domestic drilling as well Could you talk a little bit more about some of the uh, some of the goals with that is it basically trying to get with them to the administration to encourage them to bring in more fossil fuels as we transition just to help make sure that nobody, you know, loses their way of life in the You know, the meantime.
1: You're, you're spot on. And again, you know, we're a very patriotic uh, industry. And so we'd like to see that drilling be done right here in the U.S. rather than going offshore and buying it from somebody that, uh, you know, wants to bomb us or shoot us or whatever might be the case.
0: Yeah, it's important to make sure who you're getting the fuel from. They're also pretty friendly. Friendly fuel is the best fuel in general. Um, looking at like federal and state, uh, checking especially on economic regulations and energy, um, you know, how, talk a little bit about some of the, I, I think you guys have made a lot of progress on your fuel economy. Uh, do you think there's kind of this situation where a lot, a lot of people don't understand that it benefits you all to have greater efficiency as well? So it's not a matter of, You know, we don't support it. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, how we get there. Correct. Uh, You're absolutely right.
1: And, you know, I've been around the industry for for quite a while. I first came to work for Don Bowman here in January of 1986. And uh, like I said I tell everybody, you can probably tell by my haircut, but uh, I've been around the industry for a while. And, uh, you know, at that time, if you could get six miles to a gallon, as we were all talking, you thought you were doing something really incredible. And now we're sitting around a table talking about eight mile per the gallon plus in, in, in a lot of these new equipment and all, and, and, and some even much higher than that. And, and so there are benefits to um, this continuous improvement in regards to equipment and technology.
0: What do you think moving forward? Is there anything across the horizon uh, that the TCA, uh, especially like near term right now, given high energy prices, we got a lot on the plate, is there anything that you think we should have be paying closer attention to coming up in the next five to 10 years that maybe are going to impact trucking in, in some kind of unique way?
1: Well, I do think that one of the big things is going to be labor. I, I, you know, I think there is, there is uh, as we see demand today, we're sitting here today, we know we're over 80-some thousand commercial truck drivers short in the industry. Uh, we know through the National Clearinghouse from the uh, Drug and Alcohol Administration there's a significant number of individuals that uh, have gone out um, as a result of, of the uh, drug and alcohol testing, that's sitting on the sideline and haven't come back in to, to um, you know, start a program to re-enter the industry. And so, so bringing new labor, new individuals into this industry, and it's been a challenge for for a long time. This isn't anything new, but I think it's more critical today than it's ever been before. So things like this reg- federal registered apprenticeship program. We're um, involved in the uh, the most recent infrastructure bill, where the Drive Safe Act, where we're talking about bringing some 18 to 20-year-olds into the system and starting to look at how they perform interstate versus just intrastate. I, I just think those are a lot of really good things that are taking place. More women coming into the industry. Um, so that diversity, I think, is really important. You know, you're hearing of some fleets, it's running up to 13% now. You know, uh, women drivers very safe, uh, adapting very well to the industry. So I, I think those labor those labor issues uh, are a real challenge. But I think we're seeing some things fall into place that I believe somewhere down the road are going to be very beneficial to us. Autonomous vehicles, I, we're going to see them. There's certain applications where it's going to make sense. You know, alternative fuels we talked about earlier, they're coming. There's there's no doubt in my mind. But again they're not here today and it's going to be a while before they get here. The same thing with the autonomous vehicles, which I like to call them driver assist. I think there's more the level four. I mentioned to folks that, you know, out of pilot I think came into planes in, ni- in the 1930s and most planes I get on still have two pilots on the plane today. So I think driver assist is not really an appropriate word to be used when we th- talk about, you know, autonomous vehicles of the future, at least initially. And, um, yeah. and again, I like to, I like to hear people say, I, I heard, um, a Wally Deck just saying Las Vegas on one of our panels that if you're a professional driving employee hired today, you're gonna to retire from this industry. So I think that's very encouraging and certainly something that we need to continue to promote and let people know that, you know, you're not gonna be replaced by a robot like is has been the challenge in some of the other manufacturing industries, et cetera. So there's a lot of things out there, probably some that I'm not sitting here thinking about today, but uh, I wish, as I've heard uh, Joey Hogan from Covenant just said recently on one of the panels, he wished he was ten years younger in in in, in this industry because I do think there's some really great bright days ahead for those individuals and rewarding for those individuals that are going to be in this industry long term.
0: I think it's a hard time, especially hard to find drivers. I've seen it firsthand. You got recruiters, you know, you bring folks in, and uh, after six months, half of them leave the industry because it's such a stressful job. On top of like you said, things like parking a uh, lack of facilities for drivers. There's so much going on in the background that people don't pay attention to. Um, do you think that there may be some help if the Biden administration or federal regulators try to encourage programs to say, hey, look, we're trying to develop these vehicles, but you have a place in them still. Is there any value in having the federal government you know, help with TCA as you guys try to help encourage people to still apply uh, instead of thinking, I'm about to get replaced?
1: There's no question about it. And, you know, the number one issue in the attribute survey the last couple of years coming from the commercial truck drivers has been truck parking. And so, you know, when you think about the average commercial truck driver daily spending about 56 minutes looking for a place to park, the frustration that that creates for those individuals in our industry is really challenging, and I think the federal government can play a big part in helping, even take some of these discretionary dollars associated with the infrastructure bill and make sure that they they get applied in the right areas where we can grow and advance trucking for these individuals that's out there keeping America
0: moving every single day. And I think that's that's level of stress. Uh, I did the research. I love that study you mentioned because it blew my mind. Fifty six minutes trying to find parking. It's so stressful. I got calls all the time from drivers and. You know, a hidden thing of that is the cost of driver health. Uh, the last time the government studied it was in like 14, and it was like 40 percent of drivers do not have health care compared to 17 percent of uh, employed workers in other industries. Do you think there may be an opportunity as much as, uh, you know, the Biden administration is trying to push for health care to maybe have something focused on truck drivers to help have the people healthier while they're out on the road?
1: Well, I know a lot of companies have implemented a lot of programs. To encourage wellness uh, within the the driving force of their companies, and I think that's great. But yes, I mean, I think anything that we can do and 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 work with the federal government on to to be able to try to help us continue to make sure that the labor that we have uh, in the industry today and those commercial truck drivers that are out there in a sedentary position in a sedentary job that anything and everything we can do to continue to try to help with their wellness I think is in all of our best interest.
0: I completely agree. I think a lot of people as well realize you're burning more. I think that's something that you know, coming from trucking, idling is a big problem, and sometimes idling restrictions or where you're allowed to idle, drivers can literally freeze in their cab. Um, you know, do you think that helping solve this parking solution may actually help with the environment as well?
1: Well, I, I think so, but I also think there's been a lot of technology. Speaking of which, you know, we're talking about technology. There's been a lot of technology introduced. I can tell you, all of our trucks, we had the S bar heaters on the uh, on our trucks that use very little fuel you know per hour burning to keep the the climate inside the cab nice and warm now that doesn't ha- that doesn't help the cooling situation but but it really helps the the um, the warmth in the cab I've come into our terminal uh our local terminal here in Maryland on uh, some really cold weekend days and actually just got up in the truck and started it up and turned that s bar heater on and was just amazed at how quickly that that that'll warm that truck and provide a, a real high level of comfort and so we have to continue to look at everything and anything as an industry that's going to make the driving job better. And, and if we do that and we commit ourselves to doing that uh, as companies and, and working with the, the federal government, I believe that we're going to have a whole lot better outcome and, and, and make sure that that career is, is promoted as a professional career. And, and we'll start to see these middle schoolers and high schoolers become interested in that vocation.
0: I'm super excited to see that as well. Like you said, half the battle is helping another, the next generation get into this industry. And, you know, you're about to start officially on Monday coming up. Uh, you know, it, it, what are what are some things once you hit the ground running? Are there a handful of big things you want to try to knock out immediately? Or what's it going to look like as you're about to start this gig, this new uh, position?
1: Well, this this federal apprenticeship program, we just announced last week at our annual meeting in Las Vegas, which we had an incredible turnout over over 1500 attendees and so we we were very pleased to see that one of the largest we've had probably in at least 20 years and uh and our memberships continue to grow at, at TCA and I think it's because of the things that you know uh John Leibold has been our president the last 6 years and him and the staff at TCA have just done a wonderful job and continue continue to develop our educational platform which is much needed today especially as you start to see the transition of of individuals to attrition and age going out of the industry and new people coming into the industry, helping provide tools that help them learn the business uh, and understand the business better, I think is really important. And we've had a, a tremendous amount of, of individuals participating in some of those webinars that we've been offering. But uh, the other thing is, is the labor challenge. We just announced at the uh, annual meeting that um, our members can access the federal Pro- apprenticeship program through TCA. We've now been recognized as the association that that they can, our members can access through and become registered in just two days to participate in the program. So we think that's really important. And anything safety. Again, we have uh, Dave Heller is our our vice president, as I said, of safety and government affairs. We get a lot of calls re- regarding compliance and regulatory issues. And so we think we're a very good resource for that and, and will continue to be. So a lot of moving parts, but uh, really excited about all that's going on and taking place with Inside TCA and continue to move that ball forward.
0: Well, Jim, I'm super excited, uh, especially to have you start. Final question here. For folks who are not in the TCA or may want to join the TCA, do you have any recommendations on how they can either get in touch or start the process?
1: Absolutely. Just go to truckloadcarriersassociation, uh, com and you'll see a member log in or, or, you know, to gather more information about Truckload Carriers Association, there's certainly a contact number. I know some people would rather talk than just read on a you know, on a screen. So uh, please call us, and uh, our membership department would be happy to speak with you. Ask for uh, Kelly or Ryan, and uh, we would provide you additional details on on TCA and um, and our membership value proposition that we have to offer.
0: Thank you so much. Uh, I, I really do appreciate you coming on, and we are super super excited, especially to see the stuff you're going to do once you start as well. Uh, thank you so much. Is Mister Jim Ward, and you can check him out at TCA and the truckload carriers. Keep an eye out because there's definitely going to be a lot more as we're going to hear in the news, especially with recent developments in the legislation front. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you for having me.